We have been now for a few weeks on this road to hope. It's been an encouragement to me to have people go out and say, it seems like you've been speaking directly into my life. Matter of fact, I had one couple went out and asked last week if, if we actually had cameras recording in their homes during the week because it, it felt so pointed at them. Well, I want to let you know that that's actually true. Uh, we have a contract with the, uh, with the FBI. We've actually bugged all your homes. And so we're well aware of what's going on, and you provide plenty of great sermon material. Thank you. Obviously, that is not the case. Uh, we have no such, uh, no such power. But what we have discovered is that when God, we speak God's truth and we speak from God's word, that he has a way of making it real into your life and to bringing an application that is absolutely personal to you. You know that God is speaking to you into your life, and, and that's a good thing. Now, we've covered a lot of ground on these first few steps on this road to hope. We've covered a lot of ground. Some of you are like, could you slow down a little bit? Let me catch up. Because there are a lot of big steps along the way. I want to let you know that if you have missed any of this or you feel like you're a few steps behind, don't worry. That's okay. And we try to keep the resources available for you so that you can go back and retread this. Sometimes you need to go back and say, okay, let me listen to that again. Let me think through that again. Let me get out my notes from the message and, and see what it was that spoke to me so solidly in that moment and, and begin there. You don't want to just kind of hopscotch your way through this thing. And so on our church website, you can go to the sermon audio link. And every week, the message is there. As a matter of fact, we've got messages from about three years back. You can go back and listen to any of those if you're able to do that on the computer. Or you can download it to an MP3 or an, I, I, um, an iPod or something like that or your iPhone. Uh, it, it's easy to do. If you say, you know what, I, I don't have that capacity, if you've got a CD player, if you'll just let us know what you need, we'll be happy to go back. Even if we have to do a little research, go back and find those messages that meet your need. And it's not, as, I'm trying to, as I try to, try to tell people all the time, it's not that I am persuasive as a speaker. The best thing I can do is to put God's word out there and then to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do the work. So I want to encourage you on this road to hope, this journey that you're taking. And today, it's another big step. Because unless you are a very unique person, then you have not gotten through this life without being deceived or hurt by someone else or without hurting or deceiving someone else. In other words, this message is for all of us. And here's our step for today on this road. Uh, it begins with the letter E as we are going through, and we kind of got this acrostic going on, spelling recovery. Evaluate all your relationships, offer forgiveness to those who've hurt you, and make amends for harm done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. We're going to look at this a little bit more in depth, but it's based on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. The verses, you've got those on your, your handout. They're on the screen. Something you also want to look up. Something that came up in my grace group, by the way, this past Wednesday night 
was, you know, we ought to be having like a, a verse of the week to go along with this. Well, we've kind of been doing that. We haven't been calling it. But if you're looking at verses that you can put in your storehouse to pull out later, uh, the main passages of Scripture tied to these messages are great ver- verses to store up in your heart, to put on index cards and to keep reminding yourself and to repeat over and over again because it eventually seeps in, even to the most hard-headed of us, it eventually seeps in so that God's Word becomes uh, that, that weapon of spiritual warfare that we need. But here's the verse. It says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How many times would those verses have come in handy in your life? When you were enraged, when you were about to fly off the handle, to recognize that this is not what God wants for me, but instead God wants me to be kind and compassionate and to forgive. Obviously there are two main parts of this step. So I guess you've got two feet. We'll count it as left foot and right foot. The left foot is this. Forgive those who have hurt me. And the right foot is make amends to those that I've hurt. Now you can reverse those if you typically step with your right foot first, whichever works for your mode of transportation. This deals with the reality of this, that you have been hurt by other people. How many people here have been hurt by other people? Anybody? Okay. All right. How many of you here have hurt other people? Okay, well, I guess we are all qualified now to move forward because the, this, this step deals precisely with this reality. And so we want to deal with both having hurt others and being hurt by others. And so here's where we begin. Here's the first truth in this step, and that is forgive those who've hurt you. You're to forgive those who have hurt you. But why? Why am I to forgive others who've hurt me? Well, the first reason is because God has forgiven you. That's the foundation. That's the beginning. That's what we, we just read in Ephesians 4.32, that the basis of my forgiving others is that God has forgiven me. This is foundational. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I grew up in a tradition that recited the Lord's Prayer every Sunday in our worship service. Maybe some of you did too. I was also part of uh, athletic teams. I was usually the guy sitting on the bench, but I at least had the uniform. And before our games, we would get together and we would recite the Lord's Prayer. And I see this happened and, and, um, as I've watched my son participate in sports. They'd gather together and they'd say the Lord's Prayer before or after uh, the game. But when we say that, do we think about what we're saying? Because there's part of that prayer that has to do with forgiving. Does anybody know what that is? Forgive us our debts or trespasses as we forgive those who've 
trespassed against us. Wait a minute. Do we really want to pray that? Do we really want to say, God, I want you to forgive me just like I forgive other people? That's kind of scary, isn't it? Do we really want to, do we really want God to be that stingy with his forgiveness? Do we really want God to hold on to something that long before he forgives? Do we really want to wait until we are absolutely uh, to the point where we've thought of every single thing we've ever done in our whole lives and God's saying, well, you know, <laughs> I remember. You know, I remember that time your mother told you to brush your teeth and you didn't do it. And you know, one of those big ten I gave you was to honor your father and mother. And I'm still waiting on you to repent of that. And before, if you don't, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm just going to withhold forgiveness. I'm just going to keep it back. Is that really what we want? No. When we pray that prayer, what we're saying is, you know, God, I'm going to forgive. Because I'm forgiven, I'm going to forgive. We are, when we pray that prayer and we think of the words, it is to help us to reflect on the magnitude of forgiveness. That I've been forgiven so very much. Now, we can find all kinds of reasons to hold grudges and to withhold forgiveness. We can find a whole list of reasons not to forgive. But I got to tell you, that list pales in comparison to what we have been forgiven by God and what it costs Him. The reason in churches you see a cross is to remind you of what forgiveness costs. The reason that we came around the table to eat the bread and to drink the cup yet last week was to remind us just what forgiveness costs. And when we recognize just how much we have been forgiven, it makes it so much easier for us to forgive But that's the first reason why we need to forgive. It's because uh, God has forgiven you and me. The second reason is this, because resentment doesn't work. Resentment, holding on to it, doesn't work. It is both unreasonable and unhealthy. The Bible says resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. A resentment, when we hold on to resentment, it has after effects. Resentment is utterly foolish. It doesn't help anything. In fact, it is harmful to everyone around it. Resentment is toxic and it keeps you stuck. When you want to hold on to that thing that was done to you, when you want to hold on to that wrong that was done to you, when you want to hold on to that word that was done, that was spoken to you, that's called resentment and it keeps you stuck where you are. I've never in my life talked to anyone who said, I feel so much better holding on to resentment. I feel so much better being resentful. That's foolish, isn't it? Does it make you feel good when you sit there and you think of all the wrong that's done to you and you just fume over it, stew over it? All that does for me is it gets my stomach acid churning. 
messes up my appetite. And you can look at me and tell not much messes up my appetite. Gives me headaches, causes me to worry, lose sleep. Resentment's not a good thing. So it's actually beneficial to us to forgive others. Not just because God has done it, but because resentful, resentment, it doesn't work. It's unhealthy. And a third reason is this. And this sounds like the first, but it's a little different. Because those who are forgiven, forgive. Jesus said, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. So that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. The forgiven, forgive. Jesus tells this story about a guy who had a debt that we could equate to being uh, hundreds of millions, billion dollars of just... A lot of money. A debt that was so big that it couldn't be paid in a thousand lifetimes. And he owed this uh, to the king. There's no way he could pay it. And so the king brings him forward to collect on the debt. And he comes forward and he, he says, have mercy on me. He said, uh, you know, I'll do whatever I can. I'll pay this debt. I'll pay this debt. And the king does something absolutely incredible. Here's a debt this man could in, like I said, a thousand lifetimes, he could never pay this debt. And the king says to him, you can, you can leave. I'm canceling your debt. Canceling, I'm wiping it out. And so the man goes out, and then he finds someone who owes him a few bucks. And he grabs him by the neck. And he begins to choke him, saying, pay me back what you owe. And the man's words were eerily similar to the ones that had just been spoken in the presence of the king. The man says, have mercy on me. Give me some time. I'll pay you, pay back everything I owe. Now, you would think that at this point, this guy who'd been forgiven so much would have turned to him and said, I'm so sorry. I just heard this conversation take place a few minutes ago. And I was on the receiving end. You're forgiven. Your debt's canceled. You don't owe me a thing. Have a nice day. But that's not what happens in the story, is it? He actually throws the guy in prison till the debt could be paid. And when the king hears about it, the king's not real happy. He brings the guy back and he said, you know where I canceled that debt? <laughs> it's back. You still owe it. Now, the point of the story is not that God is going to take his forgiveness away from us. The point of that story is that if you're forgiven, you forgive. That, that's the way it flows. We've received overwhelming forgiveness, and because we've received it, we forgive others. That only makes sense. What the guy did made no sense. And, and here's my conjecture, my interpretation, is that even though forgiveness was spoken into his life, he'd never received it. He still had the intention, I'm going to pay this back. I think that happens with a lot of people who are in churches who say, okay, I know 
the word forgiveness has been spoken over me, but I'm working for my salvation anyway. That's, that's, not, that's not being forgiven. Forgiven is, I understand that my debt is canceled. And having understood that my debt is canceled, it changes who I am. I am forgiven. Therefore, I forgive. I had an interesting conversation this morning with Donna Moon. She said something very profound. Um, she, she works up in the sound booth. She works with the projection she does a great job with that. But sometimes technology does not want to cooperate. You've probably never had that happen to you. Sometimes technology didn't want to cooperate. So she said, she said, it makes me want to say something. But I don't talk like that. What was she saying? There's a temptation to get, get all out of whack and to do something that I know I shouldn't do, but I don't do that, not because I shouldn't do it. I don't do it because that's not who I am. That's the point of this story. I forgive not just because I ought to forgive. I forgive because that's who I am as one of the forgiven. It's a change of mind. We talked about that last week. Our actions don't change until our mind changes. And so when we begin to see ourselves as forgiven, then we'll start to see ourselves as forgiving. Well, that's easier said than done, right? How do I do this? How do I forgive others? Let me offer you some suggestions this morning. First of all, you have to admit you're hurt. You can't get over your hurt until you admit you're hurt. You can't get over your issues until you admit that you have issues. A lot of times we want to say, you know what, that didn't hurt. We want to pretend like it didn't hurt. I got a few spankings as a child. I got to the point that I started getting a little older, a little more obstinate. I could walk away and go, that didn't hurt. What a lie. My bottom was just like Rudolph's nose. (sighs) That didn't hurt. We do that a lot of times when we get hurt by other people. We go, that didn't hurt. When in fact, it broke our hearts. It broke our spirits. We'll never take that step to forgive as long as we're not willing to admit that I haven't been hurt. Secondly, release the offender. You've got to let it go at some point. You have to stop holding on to the hurt and the wrong done to you. You do this, obviously, by forgiving. But by doing that in the release, you're forgiving them. You're releasing the hurt, not just for their benefit, but for yours as well. Because remember, resentment doesn't help anybody. You may want to write this in your margin. To forgive means that you no longer sit in judgment over another person. But you give that responsibility to God. Let me read that again. To forgive means you no longer sit in judgment over another person. But you give that responsibility to God.
To forgive means I'm not the judge. I want to add a note here because I think this, this merits saying. To forgive someone does not mean that you automatically trust them or you put yourself in a place over and over and over again where you can be hurt or someone else can be hurt by that person's actions or words. For instance, we have the privilege of having at least some connection with a, a women's shelter here in town. We do not encourage, if there is a husband or a wife for that matter, who is physically abusive in a relationship, to forgive doesn't mean that I go back and get my next beating. Trust needs to be earned, and it can only be earned over time. To forgive doesn't mean that you just stand there and be a punching bag for whomever and whatever it is. But it does mean you don't sit in judgment over that person. You trust that to God. That's what our responsibility is, to forgive. But we also need to, if we're going to take this step on the road to hope, make amends to those that you've hurt. Because you see, you're not just the innocent victim. You've probably left a few people in your wake as well. So why do you need to make amends? Well, you need to make amends because God is concerned with reconciliation and unresolved relationships prevent reconciliation from happening. God is concerned with reconciliation. Unresolved relationships prevent reconciliation from taking place. Hebrews twelve fifteen says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. We need to pull bitterness up by the root. This means that you and I have a responsibility to prevent the bitterness from ever taking root. When people have something against you, against me, uh, we shouldn't just shrug it off and go, well, it's their problem. We have some responsibility to try to set things right. So how do we do that? Well, We begin by making a list. Make a list of those you have harmed and what you did. Now, we talked earlier a couple weeks ago about making a list of the issues that you have in your life, the moral defects that you have in your life, the sins that you have in your life. Today we're talking about making another list. And this is a list of the things that you've done to hurt other people and what you did. This is a good place to start but you go, well, how, what, kind of, what does that list look like? And let me just give you some possibilities. Is there anyone that you owe a debt to that you've never repaid that debt? Is there anyone that you've made a promise to and you've broken that promise? Is there anyone that you are guilty of controlling their lives? It might be your spouse, it might be a child, it might be a brother or sister, some other family member, it could be an employee, it could be a friend. Is there anyone that you're possessive of? Is there anyone that you are hypercritical of? They can't do anything right. Is there anyone that that you have verbally abused? Is there anyone that you have physically abused, emotionally abused? Is there anyone in your life 
that you have not appreciated. You just overlook everything that they do and consider it just part of life. Is there any... Is there anyone who's forgotten recently a birthday or an anniversary? By the way, guys, this is Valentine's week, so let's not add to that list. Is there anyone that you've lied to? Maybe that's enough to get us started at least on a list. So we make a list. What have I done? Who did I do it to? then the second thing is this. Think how you'd like someone to make amends to you. If the shoe was on the other foot, if it were reversed, how would you like that person to respond to you? Jesus said to do to others as you would have them do to you. So think about, if the wrong was done to me, how would I like that other person to approach me? And so here's just some some tips, just some practical things. Uh, Be sensitive to the best time to do this. If it's a husband-wife thing, the best time to do it is probably not on the way to church with the kids in the back seat. Think about the timing. Think about when you can have some time to be able to talk about this. Don't throw it out at a dinner party. Uh, Don't do it out here in the gathering space before the service starts. Don't do it in the middle of your Bible study class, your grace group. Don't do it in the middle of their work day. Think about the timing of it. Also, have the right attitude. You need to have the right attitude. If you go in and you're trying to make amends, if you go in and you're trying to apologize to, to really fix things, if you go in, um, go, I want to, yeah, don't go in and say, uh, I'm sorry, but it was really your problem. That doesn't work. I also want to warn you because sometimes you think you're saying something, but it's not getting communicated. And a lot of apologies begin with the big word, if. If I have offended you in any way. What you're saying is, it's your problem. Instead of doing this, it's obvious that you're hurt. And that I take part in that hurt. I, I cause some of that hurt. Maybe all of it. And I want to tell you I'm sorry. That's, that's so much better than me going up to Robert Motley over here and going, Robert, if I said something to hurt you, I'm sorry. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm about halfway wiggled off that hook already. That's, make, now, you may be just as sincere as possible, but when it's heard on the other end, that big if can mess you up. So just go ahead and acknowledge. If, if Robert is hurt because of something I said, I may not have meant to hurt him. I may not have tried to hurt him. It may have been a complete accident. But if he's hurt, he's hurt. I need to apologize that I have contributed to his hurt and take the if out of it. And so we, we want to have the right attitude. It needs to be an attitude of humility. An attitude of reconciliation. And then consider the appropriateness of your action. And here's what I mean by that. There's sometimes that it's unwise to try to fix things. 
This is especially true, for instance, with old boyfriends or old girlfriends. Sometimes the pieces have been picked up. They've moved on. They've got families. To be able to go back, sometimes that's just dumb. Consider the collateral damage that might be caused. Because remember, what we said initially is that we want to, we want to repair relationships except when to do so would harm others. We want to bring reconciliation except when to do so would harm that person or harm other people. Sometimes now there's a spouse involved or, or there are children involved or grandchildren involved. And, and sometimes you go, I can't do, it, to, it would do more harm than good. Now that's not to get you off the hook. But sometimes when you sit down between you and God, you recognize it do more harm than good. So how do I approach this? And I want to give you a couple of options that you can use. If there's just no way that you can go to that person to repair the issue, I want to give you a couple of options. The first one is set an empty chair down and have a conversation with that person who isn't present. Tell them everything that you need to tell them. Again, it gets it out of you. The second thing is you could sit down and write a letter that you never intend to send. And here, for those of you who always work on computers, I would suggest you not do that in an email. It is too easy to hit the send button. When you have to go buy a stamp, it makes it a little harder. Get it all out. The Bible says this this way. If it is possible, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. What's that? God's acknowledging that there are times when it's simply not possible. We need the wisdom to know when that time is. And then the third aspect in trying to to, um, fix things, make amends, is to refocus your life. Probably the best picture of this is a guy that Jesus encounters named Zacchaeus. We know Zacchaeus because of the song, right? The first thing we know about Zacchaeus is he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. We don't like tax collectors in our day. But in Jesus' day, they really didn't like tax collectors. Zacchaeus was a Jew, yet he was working for the Roman government. He was working for the occupying force that was in Judah. To make matters worse, he not only collected the taxes that were due, but he had the option, and it was most often taken by these tax collectors, to skim a little bit off the top. If she owed 10 denarii, If I can get 12 out of her, then I keep two. It was a common practice. And so Zacchaeus was a man who was not only small in stature, he was also small in the eyes of his fellow countrymen because he worked for the enemy and he stole from them. Well, Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming to town. And he tried to get a front row seat so he could see Jesus. But you see, Zacchaeus didn't have too many friends. And so he kept getting pushed and elbowed to the back of the crowd until finally he climbed a tree so he could just get a glimpse of Jesus. And when Jesus came by, he saw Zacchaeus up the tree. 
Now, if you've ever seen that picture that someone did of a laughing Jesus, I can imagine this would be a moment where Jesus just burst out laughing. Here is this old tax collector hanging on for dear life on a tree trying to see Jesus. And he makes his way through the crowd to Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, uh, come on down. Just scamper down that tree. Because I'm going to your house for dinner tonight. And what happened was a remarkable transformation in the life of one man. Zacchaeus, having met Jesus and having placed his faith in Jesus, said, Jesus, this is what I'm going to do. Everybody I cheated, I'm going to repay them. And not just what I owe them. I'm going to repay them fourfold. If I took two denarii from Shea, I'm going to give her eight. If I took a hundred denarii from Andrew, I'm going to give him 400. Zacchaeus put his money where his mouth was. He stepped up and said, this is real. I've been forgiven. But I recognize as someone who's been forgiven that I have hurt a lot of people. And as best as I am able, I'm going to make amends and I'm going to go above and beyond. In other words, he refocused his life. He made it about reconciliation. Trying to make amends for what he'd done. Not to earn forgiveness. He'd already received that. But as one who is forgiven, he not only forgave, but he also sought to build back relationships that were in pieces. I'm going to add another note here, a little little asterisk. The more serious your offense, the less likely you're going to be able to make restitution. We talked about abusive spouses. It's hard to make restitution for that the more serious your offense. And yet Zacchaeus is a wonderful example of someone who said, I'm going to do everything I can to make it right. Don't ever underestimate the power of a sincere apology. To be able to go to someone and say, I have hurt you, and there's no way that I can make up what I have done to you. But I want to let you know that I am deeply, deeply sorry. God can do some wonderful things with an honest, from the heart, apology. Just don't skirt around the edges. Start throwing a lot of ifs in there. If it's sincere, it's sincere. Fred, I've hurt you. There's no way in a thousand lifetimes I could ever make it up to you. But I'm sorry. And I'll do my best to make amends. Do you see what, what, kind, what, what that kind of apology can do to fix a shattered relationship? How important is it that we be reconciled? It's so important that Jesus taught this. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus said, just doing church things doesn't cut the mustard. I'm interested in your relationships. I'm interested in reconciliation. And if you remember when you're sitting in a worship service on Sunday morning that someone has something against you, then get up and leave your seat. Go make amends and come back. Now, I want to ask you something. This is interesting because Jesus said, leave the offering there and then go. Why do you think he said, leave the offering there? It's pretty easy. Because if you took it with you, you might not come back. This had nothing to do with filling the coffers. This had everything to do with looking for an out. But if you know you've left the offering there, and it's just sitting there. Now, an offering in Jesus' time would have been tied there. Somebody, everybody, whose, whose sheep is this? Who, who brought this thing? The offering's still there. So I don't, I don't know what this means for you. Maybe if you are in the worship service and you think, that, you know, I, I need to, I've got, the, my brother's got something against me. I need to go fix this. Maybe you take your offering envelope and stick it on the floor. I don't know. But some way, the whole point is this. Jesus is concerned with us being right with one another. Some of you are saying this makes no sense to me. It makes no sense to me. Well, perhaps that's because before you can be reconciled to others, there's a greater reconciliation that needs to take place. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the ultimate reconciliation. That is God saying, I know what you've done. I know every sin of your life. I know every time you've rebelled against me. I know the things that other people don't know. I know everything that was done in the dark. I know everything evil thought that you've ever had cross through your mind. I know it all, and yet I want you to be my child. And I want you to be my child so much that I've given my son to die on a cross for you, to pay the price for your sins, so that if you believe in him, he would take your sins upon himself, and he would give you his righteousness in its place. Paul says, you know what that word implore means? I beg you. Paul said, I'm begging you. I'm down on my knees pleading with you. Be reconciled with God. And that is my heart's desire for you.